dying, Charles Spurgeon's reply was, what's more important, breathing in or breathing out? Do you want to stay alive? <laughs> then do both. That's what he's saying. Amen. So tonight we're going to be looking at prayer uh, from 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 through 15. Now, there's a display at the National Archives and Records Administration in Washington, D.C., that contains letters that are written to the president of different eras by children. The letters include a note from a young girl who wanted to keep her father home from World War II, young women who wanted the army to save Elvis Presley's sideburns, and a young man seeking federal help to keep his room clean. Each of the young people made their requests to the one person they thought could make those things happen, and that was the president of the United States. President George W. Bush mentioned one of these letters uh, in his eulogy for President Ronald Reagan, and he told about seventh grader Andy Smith of Irmo, South Carolina, who sought President Reagan's help after his mother declared his bedroom a, quote, disaster area. In a, neatly, in a neatly typed note, Andy wrote, I would like to request federal funds to hire a crew to clean up my room. President Reagan actually took the time to send Andy a handwritten, tongue-in-cheek reply. He noted a new government effort known as the Private Sector Initiative Program, which had been set up to encourage volunteers to tackle local programs rather than relying on government assistance. The president wrote, I'm sure your mother is fully justified in proclaiming your room a disaster. Therefore, you are in a position to launch another volunteer program to go along with more than 3,000 already underway in our nation. Congratulations. As It's a funny and cute story, but the basis and reality of it is that these kids, whether it was Andy from uh, Irmo or these other children or even the ladies who wanted to save Elvis's sideburns, because you know, go in the military, he got drafted, right? You have to shave your head. They wanted to keep, they thought he was cute, whatever. But they wrote a letter to the one person that they thought, if I could get this done, it's the president of the United States, of the most powerful man on earth. And see, church, when we pray, we are taking things that we have no control over, or sometimes we do have control over. Listen, we, they had no control over Elvis Presley's sideburns, but Andy could have cleaned his room, right? But they're taking the issues of their life, the things that matter to them, to the president, just as in prayer we take the issues of our life, the things that matter to us, to the one person who can make a difference, and that's God. And sometimes he will work miraculously, and other times he'll say, hey, you're in a perfect position to labor for the kingdom of heaven. But nonetheless, we serve a God who hears our prayers, and not only hears them, but answers them. Amen. So let's look at our text tonight, 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 through 15, which says, And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So tonight, the Believer's Toolbox Part 2, which is prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, 
uh, for meeting with us tonight, God. We lift up your name, God. We ask that your spirit, God, would help us today, God, that you would speak to us, God, as we learn to uh, seek to better understand you, God. Let us hear from you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. So prayer is the topic, and prayer is, I think, perhaps one of the most overanalyzed, over-scrutinized areas of a believer's life, especially new believers, because they tend to overthink it, right? You, you imagine a, a, a peasant person coming before a king, and they come before the king, and they say, Thou art righteous. Will you grant me my wishes, right? And we think we have to talk to God in a certain way, and we have to present ourselves in a certain way, and that if we don't word things correctly, what if we get struck down by lightning or or he won't listen to our listen we should be respectful when we pray to God but ultimately we serve a God who hears us when we pray so let's see if we can better understand prayer tonight and what it means for us so what is prayer well prayer one thing it is not is meditation Right. We, and meditation, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but the definition of meditation is to engage in contemplation or reflection. And so meditation can be part of your quiet time with God, but it is different than praying. So if you say, oh, yeah, I did my morning prayers this morning. All you did was sit there and think about stuff. That's not talking to God. That's not a bad thing. Meditate on Scripture. Meditate on what the Spirit is speaking to you. But ultimately, we must open our mouth and speak to our God. Prayer is not about you and how you look while you do it. It's not a public spectacle. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Jesus is telling these people who lift up their voice and they shout out this awesome, cool-worded prayer that just sounds really eloquent and delightful, not because they want to get a hold of the living God, but because they want to look cool in front of everybody. They want to look righteous in front of the crowd. They want to look like, oh man, that guy? There ain't nobody holier than that guy. Look, did you hear his prayer? That's what they're looking for. But God is saying, no, that is not, we don't pray to impress people around us. Yes, we do pray publicly, right? We open our service, we pray before our meals and all of these things, but ultimately... We pray to talk to God. Prayer is not repetition or, or, or specific scripts that we say or lines. Matthew 6, verse 7, Jesus says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. It's like that's what you call word salad. right? Something you could have said in five words, you say it in 50 words because you want to sound like you're, you're praying for a long time. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go to YouTube, type in Word Salad Kamala Harris. You'll get some pretty great examples. Don't do it right now after church, but hey, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Listen, we tend to overcomplicate it, right? That's what I said. Like, we, we, how, how can I word this most eloquently before our Father? Like, just talk to Him. Just say, God, I, I'm struggling here, man. Like, I don't know what to do. Not, 
Our Father in heaven, my struggles are so great. My life is, but, <laughs> but we get this way. We're like, I got to say it right or God won't do anything for me, right? So what is prayer? What, what is it really for? What do we do when we pray? Jesus gave us a model prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13, is a very well-known passage, and I, I've shared this same illustration before, so it may sound similar to, to some of you, but it, it's one of the most well-known prayers in all the Bible, and it's one of the most taken-out-of-context prayers in all of the Bible because people view it as like this magic spell and script that you should just repeat word for word, and that prayer is... The Lord's Prayer. Yeah, our Father in heaven. And Jesus gives this prayer to his disciples. They say, they say, they say, teacher, how should we pray? And Jesus says, and starting in verse 9, he says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And many times today, it's viewed as something like, listen, just say this prayer word for word, just the way Jesus did every day, and you'll be hunky-dory. Everything will be okay, and it'll be good. Like, just perfect. No, that's called religion. That's called checking a box. That's not a relationship with God. That's not a conversation with Him. And it's certainly not prayer. But rather, this prayer that Jesus gave us, is not a script, but it is a model. He's not saying, listen, go make your prayers look exactly like this. Form it perfect, just word for word. No, he's saying, these are the kind of, these are the topics, these are the things that you need to bring before God. These are the, the, the way you should, the, the, the way you should speak, not word for word, but the things and concerns and requests that are important in your life. So let's break it down and better understand it. First, prayer acknowledges God's authority in our lives and it worships Him. Verse 9, he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This word hallowed means literally just means holy, reverent, revered, or honored. So in other words, it's saying, Our Father in heaven, you are holy, you're righteous, you're the God of it all, you're the, the King of all kings, right? And you, could, you don't have to say, Holy be thy name. You can say, God, you're awesome, man. Like, I praise you with my life. I, you're the King of kings, the Alpha and the Omega, whatever it is you want to pull out. But you praise God and you worship Him from your heart. You acknowledge His authority. Listen, prayer alone acknowledges God's authority because otherwise you're just talking to nothing, right? Just simply the act of prayer is, is putting some faith in who God is because you think, if I can talk out into nothing, He will hear me. Or don't pick up a phone. You don't type up an email. You just simply say the words in faith that God hears you. Prayer should be something that can activate God's will for us on earth in our lives. Verse 10, He says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the area of this prayer, Jesus is talking about, God, let your will be done on earth. You see, God's got a playbook in heaven. Let's put it that way, a playbook in heaven. He's got a plan for each and every one of us 
that is perfect. But it's in heaven. And it stays in heaven. Unless we ask God to show it to us. Unless we ask God to call the plays. Unless we ask God to call the shots in our life. That if, if we don't ask God to show us our next step, that it just sits there collecting dust. If there's any dust in heaven, there's probably not. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It, God's got the plan. And then we have to say, God, I want to activate your plan in my life on earth. You know, I think there is so much that God wants to do for his children that he does not do because they do not ask. What does James say? You have not because you ask not. It's like, imagine you got a big old box of cookies in the pantry for your kids, right? And you're just waiting for them to ask, right? And then one day your kid's like, you guys never give us any treats. You never ask, right? Now they're moldy. They're, they're stale. They're crusty. I wanted to give them to you, but you never asked. Like, we don't really do that with our kids very often, right? Now they're all going to go home and be like, hey, can we have a cookie? <laughs> they're listening. But there's so much blessing, so much of God's will on earth as it is in heaven that he has for us that never comes to fruition because we do not ask God to do it in our life. Or when we do ask him to do it, he says, okay, now take this step. And we're like, oh, that? <laughs> uh, I'm going to call an audible on that one. This is also your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Guess what? Flash, news flash. Earth does not revolve around me. So this also implies intercessory prayer. And what that is, is praying on the behalf of other people. So your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven for me and for you. That when I pray for God's will to take place in my life, I'm also praying for God's will to take place in the lives around me. That we can see God's plan unfold in our lives and the lives around us. Verse 11, prayer is a lifeline. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Do you know how much more often we'd pray this prayer if we actually didn't eat unless we prayed and asked God for food? Right? Not a single one of us would forget to say our prayers in the morning. <laughs> right? But that's not how it works. And of course, we're talking about more than just our bowl of cereal in the morning. We're talking about spiritual food. We're talking about, God, show me your word in my life. God, show me your will in my... God, feed my soul by your spirit. And it's oftentimes those days that we feel most down and out, that we woke up late, didn't have time to pray, rushed to work, and had a cruddy attitude all day. <laughs> right? <laughs> Y'all... I'm, you're not the only one. I mean, it's me too. It's all of us. We all have days like that. It's been said that daily bread is per diem. Listen, this is daily, not weekly. Daily. Per diem is an allowance or a payment made each day. Daily. 
Every single so not only is Jesus telling his disciples, listen, you need to pray that God provides for you both physically and spiritually. But if you think about this a little bit more deeply, we're talking about daily. He's implying that we need to be praying daily, regularly, because our souls need the communion with God daily. Verse 12. A lifestyle of repentance requires a prayer life. He says in verse 12, he says, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Repentance in our life is initiated in your communication with God. Repentance is confessing our sins before God and then turning our life away from them. And the first step of repentance is praying and admitting to God, I messed up, I'm a sinner. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And again, Jesus is implying that we need to forgive people who offend us, even if they don't say sorry. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I, I, I could pull up several verses of The verses in the Bible saying, forgive your enemies, love your enemies. And never once does it say, forgive your enemies once they say sorry. (laughs) Once they ask for your... No, it says forgive your enemies. Period. That's the end of it. Whether they deserve it or not. Whether they made things right or not. And so we ask God to forgive us, and then we too also confess our forgiveness of those who have hurt us, enemies or friends. And then basically we ask God, and help us not to sin anymore, deliverance from our sin, to dominion over sin is started in a prayer life. Verse 13, Jesus says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Think about this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. How many temptations in life have we faced and fallen face flat on the ground because of that we could have avoided if we got a hold of God? before it all happened. And a prime example of this is, is uh, I think it's Peter and John that Jesus takes with him to the Garden of Gethsemane right before he's about to be arrested. A- and Jesus tells him, pray with me for a little while for I'm greatly distressed. Think about that. Jesus, he's telling, pray with me for a little while and I'm greatly distressed. Like, if Jesus walked through these doors, he's like, hey guys, pray with, us. Pray with me. We'd all be like, heck yeah, right? Like, at least we think we would. He tells them, pray with me for a little while. And Jesus goes and prays and he comes back. And what are they doing? That's what some of our morning prayers time sounds like. I've been there, man. I've been, I've been like, oh, yeah, I'm getting up for morning prayer and I'm gonna rock and roll and take this day. And the next thing I know, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> we're, we're, I'm not perfect. We're, none of us are perfect. But think about that. How many temptations have we faced and we didn't have to face 
because we didn't get a hold of God before. And these the disciples in the garden, they kept falling asleep. They kept falling asleep. Maybe they said a couple words before they nodded off. But, but they, and then what happens? They come and arrest Jesus. And I just talked about it this morning. They all, they all failed. They all faced the temptation to run like chickens. And that's exactly what they did. And I can't help but wonder, would at least one or two of those disciples stayed strong if they had prayed with Jesus when he asked them to? If they had said, God, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one. You see the verse before, we're asking God to forgive us of our sins, and then we're saying, lead us not into temptation so that we can protect ourselves from sin. So we're talking about deliverance from our sins, and now making efforts to take dominion over our life so that we don't fall into those sins again. God gives us dominion over our sins if we ask Him to, and if we take the steps necessary that He asks us to take. But it starts in prayer. So ultimately, this is not, like I said, it's not a script. It's not a magic spell. It's not an incantation. It's not an open sesame type thing, and then you unlock the will of God by saying word for word the way. Listen, if we've got to say it the way word for word Jesus said, we've got to probably say it in a different language. That's why it's not working. <laughs> he didn't say it in English. I don't, I don't know if you guys know that. He didn't speak English. I know, bursting all your bubbles. No, Jesus is saying, listen, these are the things that matter in your life, and they matter to God. And if you want God to get involved, you need to bring them to him through prayer. So then it's the practicality of how. When we do this, when we take this model that Jesus gives us, how do we apply it to our lives? What is the, the... perfect atmosphere, right? You want to set the mood for prayer. Sometimes we tend to overcomplicate that. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus says, And when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to the Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, it's important to note that the main idea here isn't just about being alone, although alone prayer time is very important and we should seek it. But that prayer is between you and it's between God. And when you pray, it's only to God. We have our pre-service prayer. None of us are in secret. We're all here. We're all praying together. We're all getting a hold of God. But if you find yourself sitting there praying and you're like, that person's like three chairs away from me and I know that they can hear what I'm saying, so I got to make sure I sound good. Or I don't say anything embarrassing about myself. (laughs) Or, Or what? No, listen, you're not in the secret place in the secret, in the quiet. You can have that in a big group of people. When you're not worried about what the people next to you are thinking about your prayers, listen, let me tell you something. If they're thinking about your prayers, they're also not praying. (laughs) So you're both messing up. (laughs) But our prayers are between us and God. We just talk to God. Not worried about how we sound, how we look, who's around but don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We should find times where it's us alone with God. They say go in your prayer closet. Some of us don't have closets big enough to go inside of. But 
the idea is that you find somewhere where nobody else is around. You find somewhere where it's just you and God. You can pour out your heart before him. There is no awareness of what's going around you, and you just speak to God. And then there's the frequency in which we pray. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. Very simple verse. It says, pray without ceasing. Ceasing means stopping. Pray without stopping. And then Colossians 4, 2 says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And so what this means, it doesn't mean like constantly you're just going through this Lord's Prayer model in your head, like, thank you, God, give him daily bread, and then you start over, and then you just do it all day, and then you never get anything. No, like, this is like your thought process, rather than thinking to yourself, you're thinking to God. That as you encounter situations in life, you consult God rather than consult your heart. Because your heart's deceitfully wicked. I don't know if you know that. But that when, when your coworker is really starting to push your buttons, instead of saying, man, I'd really love to wring their neck, you say, God, I'd really love to wring their neck. Can you help me out here? <laughs> and, and then he helps you not do it. <laughs> Whereas before, when you take it to yourself, you're, thinking, you're just imagining over and over again actually doing it. <laughs> but that we can pray. That everything in our lives we can take to God. That... that we, Imagine this. God hears your thoughts anyway. You might as well think them to him. And it might change the way you think. Because <laughs> every now and then we think something, we're like, oh, dang, God heard that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what the great part about that is? It's God heard it. You already know he heard it. And he still loves you. And that's when you take those thoughts... And you pray about them. You say, God, I know that was not righteous. I know that was not from you. God, forgive me and cast that out of my mind and fill my mind with righteous things, with your word. We can't hide anything from God, so why try? Prayer should be a spiritual habit for Christians. And how many have tried to develop good habits? Eating healthy, right? Working out. Things that take care of you, right? It takes work. It takes commitment, and it takes planning. We tend to think like, oh, if I'm going to pray every morning, then the Spirit will just wake me up. <laughs> and then I'll be in this awesome place where I just feel great, and, and I have all this energy, and I'll just pour out my heart to God, and the Spirit will do that for me. Well, it's not, probably not going to happen. Sorry. But there are things that we can do practically speaking, that can help us develop good habits in our lives, just like eating healthy and working out. We tend to think, we tend to over-spiritualize creating spiritual habits for ourselves. Now, of course, this can cross the line into turning things religious. You have to make sure you do it with the right heart. But there's very practical, set a reminder on your phone. Boop. Oh, my phone's asking me if I've prayed today. I guess maybe I should take a minute. I have I have those. I have four that go off every day. It just says, pray now. And I pray, at least just for a little bit. Hey, God, checking in. Because otherwise, I might do my morning prayers, and then by the end of the day, I go and I just rest my head on my pillow, and I think, man, I haven't even 
thought about God today. At least I feel like I haven't, right? His will, his plan for my life, the things he desires for me, didn't even cross my mind today. We live in a crazy world. We li- there's so much going on. There's so much happening. Our phones are constantly buzzing. One of those buzzes might as well be a reminder to get a hold of God. We can do practical things like setting aside certain parts of the day. Every day at this time is my prayer time. There's no exceptions. And usually, I know this is hard to hear, the best time to do that is at the beginning of the day before you start your day. That means waking up earlier. (laughs) I love to sleep. That's hard to do. But you know what's harder is going through life without God's help. That we can take a certain part of the day, that during that time of day we eliminate distractions. That means you go into your prayer closet and your phone stays outside of the closet or your prayer room or whatever it is. And we come into communion with God and God alone. Not TikTok, not Facebook, not, oh God, help me today. Right? Because it's going to happen. The devil runs most of the things that are on that phone, so of course notifications are going to come in. But yet you set aside the distractions. And this is a hard one for moms, because kids are distracting. But you have to keep them alive. It's kind of a catch-22. But find a way. Make a way. It's worth it. But the key to this is that this prayer life that you want to develop becomes a spiritual habit and not a religious habit. Because religious habits very seldomly get us very far, and they usually don't last very long. And I close with this idea, the power of prayer, what it really means for us today, being cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 27 Verse 45 through 51, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, he's being crucified. And this is what the text says. It says, Now from the sixth hour, there was a darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And in the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani. And that is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He died. And verse 51, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook. And the rocks were split. We pray to God because we can talk to God. We we pray, you know, we we say the sinner's prayer, we give our life to Jesus Christ and we're saved. We develop a daily life of prayer not to be saved, but because we are saved. We pray because we want to and we get to talk to the almighty, one true God, creator of the heavens and the earth, and the creator of you and I. 
and we get to pray and we get to go directly to God in prayer thanks to what Jesus did on the cross. Because in verse 51, there's amazing symbolism here. Verse 51, I'll read it again. It says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Now, what this means is we're talking about the temple of God. And the curtain is the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. And if you were the the high priest and you went, actually, if you were anybody, but if you were anybody and you went into the Holy of Holies, you would drop dead just from the presence of God. If you were the high priest and you were not properly uh, sanctified and cleansed before going into the Holy of Holies, he would drop dead before the presence of God. But the high priest was the intercessor on behalf of Israel before God. He would go in there and he would make uh, sacrifices that were the atonements for the sins of people. And they would do that every year. Now, Jesus is called in the Bible the great high priest. And this text right here, we see that curtain that separated the rest of the temple, the rest of the world, from the Holy of Holies is torn in two. From top to bottom, which means it started at the top and tore down from the bottom. The the physics of that don't make any sense. But not only that, I don't know if you, if you guys know what this curtain looked like. It describes it in, in, in the Bible when God's giving Moses instructions on how to make it. But this curtain is not like, you know, grandma's drapes. These things, scholars say, are anywhere from six to nine inches thick of fabric. It's like, you ever, see, you ever go to a, see the strong man on TV that ripped the phone book? <laughs> right? This makes this look like nothing. Fabric, six to nine. This isn't just something that happens. Like an earthquake comes and then the, the, the curtains tear and it's like, whoa, that's crazy. No, that is supernatural. Not only that it happened at all, but also that it happened top to bottom. I imagine there's like an angel in there that was like. <laughs> but this resembles something to us. That Jesus Christ died on the cross So that we could have direct access to God through his sacrifice. The curtains were torn because no longer were people separated from the presence of God because Jesus Christ was the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. We're talking in the temple, the high priest would go in there once a year to atone for our sins. And Jesus Christ did it once for all of eternity so that we could come directly to God with our prayers. That's why we say, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm not telling you if you don't say that, that your prayers don't work. We're not going to get religious about that. But that's why we say, in Jesus, because Jesus is the great high priest, and we have direct access to God the Father because of what Jesus did. Because he tore the veil so that we could talk straight to God. It's a privilege I, I say this all the time when we start talking about Old Testament stuff. I mean, I'm so thankful. <laughs> I live in the New Testament. <laughs> How many know the New Testament is still alive and well today? This isn't just because it ended in Revelation, it didn't stop. We live in the New Testament. 
the things that God speaks about, the things that God did, he's doing today. We still have direct access to God. We still can pray and talk to God. And listen, it's really just about that. Prayer is words spoken to God. Just like how you would call your friend and talk to them about your day or share a story about what happened or ask them for help moving this weekend or whatever it is. You just talk to God. We don't have to use thys and thous. We don't have to use eloquent phrases. We simply just have to say, hey, God. And then fill in the blank. Don't worry about your words. We just come to him. The most important thing about our prayers is that they're prayed in faith. That we believe that we serve a powerful God who not only hears our prayers, but can do something about them. That just as those kids in the opening story took their one request to the one person in the country who he thought could do something about it, we can take our requests to the one God who can do something about it. But he just simply wants us to take our life before him in prayer, express ourselves as best as we can to him. We just talked about this morning, Romans 8. Uh, 36 through 38, that even when our prayers stink, the Holy Spirit's like, I got you. I, I, I understand. Even when we don't even understand our prayers, the Holy Spirit is like, yeah, you're covered, man. He just wants us to bring them to him. To bring your wants, to bring your needs, to bring your desires, to bring your requests to him and to seek his will in our lives through prayer. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this evening.